It's a good place to be today, isn't it? Whoa, three of you are excited about being here. <laughs> it's a good place to be today, man. There you go. There you go. <clears throat> One of my favorite movies is uh, Tombstone. And you all, yeah, oh yeah, some of you are like, yeah, that's great. I love westerns. And uh, there's a scene in Tombstone where Kirk Douglas is standing there. And uh, Kirk Douglas, Kurt Russell's standing there. And he's, uh, he's kind of sparring with this guy in the saloon and back and forth. Some words are going on. And, and he looks at the guy and he says this. He says, are you going to do something or are you just going to stand there and bleed? Now, I, I know that you're wondering why in the world do I start a sermon like that. It's just this stuff that comes to my head sometimes when I get up here. But the fact is, is that we're going to be talking about the Christmas presents for the next several weeks. And we're going to be looking at these topics of Advent. And they are very interesting and very incredible topics of hope and love and, and peace and joy. But the thing is, I think sometimes we miss the fact that it's not just all about us. That these presence and the presence of hope and, and the presence of love and the presence of joy and the presence of peace, think about it, these gifts of Advent really have to do with how we interact with other people. And so while they're great to unwrap and they're great to, to have this kind of great feeling that we have the hope that comes through Advent, that comes through Jesus Christ, we have to realize that that hope really isn't worth anything unless it inspires us to act in the ways that God wants us to act, to become who God wants us to become. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today as we look at the presence of hope. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come before you today and we do thank you for these amazing gifts that we celebrate during Advent season. We know, Father, that we've just kind of taken these things and categorized them. We celebrate them on these Sundays of Advent, but we know that they're very real and, and we only have the opportunity to experience them because of your presence in our life. And so we thank you for the presence of hope today. We thank you for the presence of love and, and joy and peace that we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. We just thank you for your presence that brings them each to us. But Lord, inspire us today. Inspire us not just to wrap our arms and our hearts around the, the great feeling that we get knowing that there is hope. Inspire us not to just look at the peace that we have within. Inspire us not to only concentrate on the love that we receive from you. Inspire us not only to think about the joy that we have, but inspire us to allow those things to move outward. That we would be people of peace and people of love and people who share our joy and people who live in and share our hope. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Today we're looking at that presence of hope. And if you think about this incredible presence, I again want to just challenge you that it's not just this kind of ooey-gooey hope that makes us feel better. Not this just kind of hope that moves us to tears when we know that we're in the midst of something that that, that um, God is always going to be there with us because that is all very real and it's all very awesome. I was coming down the road today from Parkersburg and, and honestly, I'm not that kind of a mushy guy, but I had Christmas carols on and I was singing along the top of my lungs and, and I, this particular song came on that I just love and it moved me to tears and, and I was crying. This guy's coming up behind me pretty quick and I'm trying to wipe my eyes. I don't want him to see what's going on in my car as he goes by me in the left-hand lane. 
And, and yet it was just incredible because it really was the hope of Christ that was kind of building up in me and realizing the blessing that I have. But, but I want us to go beyond that feeling. I want us to go beyond that experience in our own life. Go back to Luke chapter 1 with me for just a minute. I think you get a sense of of kind of what I'm asking us to do here this morning. Luke chapter 1 is this encounter that Mary has with the angel and and kind of her response, if you will. Look what it says. Luke 1, starting in verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, now what I want you to to listen to here in in this scripture is this. Can you imagine how incredibly overwhelmed Mary was at this announcement? Can can you imagine the power that she felt? And number one, can you imagine how good she felt? That an angel of God is saying to her, you have found favor with God. You are going to be the one who delivers this anticipated Messiah into the world that we've been waiting for since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the covenant. You are the one. And can't you imagine how she felt? But also, can't you imagine how she began to understand that she was going to be blessed to be a blessing? Can't you imagine that her her life and her mind is never going to be the same? Her life is not going to belong to her anymore, if you will. That is through her that the world is going to be blessed. It is through her that God is going to do this incredible thing. You see, I think when we look at hope, one of the reasons we don't experience the power of hope is that we don't realize that it almost always goes to something else. And I want you to skip over to Hebrews to kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about here this morning. I want you to go over to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. And let's look at what hope is paired with, and not just here, but in many other places in Scripture as well. It says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, listen to this, if we hold on to our what? Our courage and the hope of which we boast. Now, now, here's what I want you to see. That not only in this passage, but also in many other passages, this whole idea of courage, this whole idea of faithfulness, this whole idea of getting out and doing something is tied in with our hope. Same thing when Mary gets the the hope that comes from God Almighty that she's going to bring Christ into the world, that now she has to muster up the courage to do something. The same thing that every time we receive the hope of Christ in our life, we are called to muster up the courage to do something. And these are two very powerful words in our faith as followers of Jesus Christ. And all of us like the idea of hope, don't we? We like the idea of hope allowing us to endure. It is our defensive weapon against the onslaught of attacks and downright hard times we face in this life. Always knowing 
that God is never going to leave us and never going to forsake us, always knowing that the sun always comes up in the morning, knowing that heaven awaits those of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior. All of this is an awesome thing to experience in hope that allows us not to be discouraged in the midst of hard times. But it's deeper than that. It's not just not being discouraged. It is acting and being and doing things differently. Now, now, it is about not being discouraged. I don't know if I've shared this story with you all. One of the things about preaching in different churches is you tend to use your favorite stories, and then you forget where you use them. So if you've heard this, just kind of nod your head like you have it and make me feel good about it. I'll do much better the rest of the sermon, okay? But I live in Parkersburg, and, and uh, I live in the area where the C8 water you know, has affected us, and, or at least it's been in what we've drank. I don't know if it's affected us or not for years and years. I grew up in Parkersburg. I grew up in Lubeck, so I've been drinking C8 my whole life. I don't know any difference. I get mad. I turn green. I flex. I bust out my clothes, but I don't know any different than that. But, but this C8, uh, several years ago, they came out and they sent us a letter and they said, hey, if you and everyone in your family will go down to this trailer and let this nurse draw blood and run tests on it, we'll give all of you $450 a piece. Right? Well, this is about 15 or 20 years ago. $450 is a lot of money. $450 is still a lot of money to me today. But uh, we went down, our whole family. I had three girls. My girls back at that time, my youngest girl was about seven, six years old. And my older girls were both in their younger and mid-teen years. And they were terrified of needles. They didn't want to do it. But we told them, look, if you'll go down and do it with mom and dad, we'll give you the $450 to do whatever you want to do with and so they all decided that they would do it. And so we go down to this trailer, and, and, and my wife, Krista, and I, we get our blood drawn. And then we started with our oldest daughter, who's probably about 16 or 17 at that time. And she gets in the chair, and she sits down, and, and the lady comes over with the needle, and she turns her head, and her tears running down her face. And she looks at the lady, and she says, I'm scared to death. And the lady says, honey, it'll be all right. And she holds her mom's hand, and she continues to cry. And the lady takes her blood, and it's all over with in just a matter of a couple of minutes. Actually, took a lot of blood for this test, though. And so when she got out of that chair, it was over with. She had a sigh of relief, and she walks on. My middle daughter gets up and gets in the chair. She's three years younger than my older daughter. She's probably about 13 at this time. She gets up in the chair. She's shaking all over. She's nervous. She begins to cry. She says, I'm terrified, too. Walk through the whole process. It's all over. She gets out. My six or seven-year-old, I'm not sure exactly how old she was at that time, she jumps up in the chair. She flops her arm down. And she says, take my blood. I'm getting a mini bike. Okay? <laughs> She's still that way today, by the way. My other two are still the way that they are today. But the fact is, is that in the midst of that trying time, she was able to get through it because she was walking out of there and she was going to go buy a mini bike with her $450, which she did, okay? And it is that hope in the midst of those situations that brings us through. That's a little trivial, but you know what I'm talking about, don't you? When you're in the midst of that diagnosis that you don't know how you're going to handle it, but you know you have that hope in Christ. When you're in the midst of that marital conflict and you're not sure how you're going to handle it, but you know you have that hope in Christ. When you're in the midst of whatever it is that's pulling you down and has the potential of really destroying you, yet you're able to keep going. Why? Because you have that hope in Christ and you can just kind of relax in that at times and, and it just helps you get through those times. And that is incredibly real. It is very real and it is a big part of our hope. But it's not the only part of our hope. 
It is that hope that calls us to do something during those times, to be something during those times, to become something during those times. In 2 Corinthians 3.12, Paul says to the church at Corinth, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Since we have that hope, we have courage. Since we have that hope, we are very bold. It seems then that not only... Are they completely related, this hope and this courage? But it seems that hope seems to breed courage and that it is our hope that then gives us courage or rather it should give us courage. It should give us courage to do things and be people that other people can't do and be. I read a story one time about a town that was going to be flooded so that they could, uh, they were going to build a dam and the town was going to be flooded and they came through three to four years before this happened And they bought the property off of all the residents, but the residents were allowed to stay as long as they wanted. Most of them stayed clear up until three or four months before the town was to be flooded. But an amazing thing happened in that town. In that two or three years before it was flooded, the town went completely to pot. Nobody painted their house. Nobody cared about their yard. Nobody added any improvements. Nobody took care of hardly anything. Why? Because there was no hope for the future of this town. And, and, and I love this quote that uh, Halford Luckick says. He says this, he says, Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. And so if you reverse that around, for those of us who have the hope of Christ in our life and the presence of hope in our life, we are the ones who have that faith in the future, that hope in the future. We are the ones who should have more power than anyone else in the presence. And it's interesting enough that the writer of Hebrews is making this point. He is really retelling the story of one of the greatest Old Testament heroes, Moses. He's kind of comparing Moses to Christ in some ways. And he says Moses was one who understood hope, and Moses was one who understood courage. And if you go back to his story, and you remember most of his story, he's always leading the Israelites from where they are to where God wants them to be, right? He's always doing things that seem impossible, he has all kinds of times when he lacks faith, like, like all of us do. But, but at the end of his life, in Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8, he is speaking to the next generation of leaders. And, and listen to what the most important words he shares with them are. Listen to his, and everything he could have said to them, listen to his counsel in Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. He sa- it says this, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, I lay all that out because I want to go into a little bit of deeper practical understanding of what it means for you and I today. If we look at Mary in the Christmas story, and if we look at the Israelites in this story from Moses, if we look at you and I, when we face hard times in our life, actually when we face almost every day of our life, we all really have a choice, a real dilemma, if you will. And and the dilemma really is this. Think about the Israelites. Should they stay or should they move on with the new leadership? Should they stay or should they move on with Moses when he was leading them? Look at Mary. Should she stay who she is and refuse this honor or should she move on? And it's the Israelites' dilemma over and over and over in their history 
They had a choice between courage and complacency. Now, you and I have that choice every single day. Every single day because of the hope that God puts in us, we have the choice to choose courage or complacency. Should I stand up for the person being bullied at school? Should I get involved with the abuse I see in that marriage? Should I move on faith and begin to explore a career change for the Lord? All of these choices say to us, are you going to be complacent or are you going to exercise courage? Let's take a, a look at the difference between the two. First of all, courage calls for forward movement. Basically, you can say it like this. Complacency says, stick to the status quo. And courage says, grab your stuff and let's go. Stick to the status quo or grab your stuff and let's go. I stood in front of the South Parkersburg Baptist Church. I gave them nine months of knowing that I was leaving. And a lot of prayer went into how to do that transition. I thought that was best. And I think it was best for the church, but it's horrible for me. I went through time and time again of 26 years with one family and, and getting ready to move on, of, of saying goodbyes and doing all these things. And what I heard over and over and over again, which people thought flattered me, they thought it made me feel good, was we're never going to be the same. I don't know how we can go on. Boy, I hope we don't change this that we started together, preacher. And so on the last Sunday, I stood before that congregation. I said, here's what I need you all to know. If I come back a year from now and you're still the same church, you dishonor me and the leadership that I've provided. If you haven't changed half the stuff we've been doing, you dishonor me. Because we build upon what people have done in the past, right? And if we accept status quo, and if we think it's always going to be like it is today, we'll never move to where God wants us to go. We'll be like the Israelites still back in, that, in Egypt, we'll be, we'll be on the other side of the Red Sea. We won't get to experience what God wants for us. Courage calls us not to complacency. Courage calls us not to the status quo, but it's grab your stuff and let's go. What's going to happen? Stephen Curtis Chapman, that dates me big time. Um, he, you know, he's an old guy now. But he used to sing this song, you know, saddle up your horses, we got a trail to blaze. That's in my funeral uh, arrangements. I want that sung when people walk out of the place. Saddle up your horses. we got a trail to blaze. We're going on this great adventure with Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, some of us have no idea what it's like to be adventurers with Jesus because we're scared to death to move. We're scared to death something's going to be different. Scared to death is going to have a change that I'm not going to like. It's not going to be what I, I used to know. Moses had experienced this, always leading the Israelites from and towards, never staying in the same place. Out of Egypt and towards the promised land was his life calling. And now he's saying to the next generation of leaders, do the same. And his rally cry to them, the words I'm sure they had heard over and over, this wasn't the first time, was be strong and courageous. I think if, if we could ask the angel speaking to Mary, I think this is exactly what the angel was saying to Mary. Be strong and courageous, Mary. I think this is what they were saying to the shepherds when, when the shepherds were going to check out Jesus. Be strong and courageous. It is the message of Advent. It is the message of our Savior. It is the message of our faith. And we can be that way because we have a God who says, I know where you're going. That's the hope. And I'm going there with you. And I'm never going to leave you. And I'm never going to forsake you. On the other hand, fear paralyzes us. 
it makes us stop dead in our tracks. Scared to death to move. It's that deer in the headlights kind of thing. I, I was going, I, I traveled to Florida with the job that I have with a physical therapy company. I work there about four or five days a month. And I drive because I know I've already shared the story about how I hate to fly. You don't know me for two days without knowing that about me. And so I drive. It's about a 17 and a half, 18 hour drive. I leave at about 4.30 or 5 in the morning. I stop twice. I'm proud of that. I'm a man. I love the time I make. I try to break it every time I go. And I get there in time to eat dinner in the evening. But I have to drive across Fancy Gap Mountain. Any of you ever drive across Fancy Gap Mountain? You happen to drive across it when it's foggy? It's unbelievable, isn't it? Never seen foggy like, fog like that. And it paralyzes you, doesn't it? You're scared. I mean, I'm scared. And you don't know what to do. You can't see in front of you. You can't see beside of you. You're trying to find those reflectors on the road and the lights that they now have set up, which makes it a lot nicer than it was before. But it just paralyzes you because of fear. Some of you know what that's like when you got that diagnosis of that illness. You know what that's like when your husband said he's leaving you. You know what that's like when your kids turned away from the values you raised them with. You know what that's like when you realize you're losing that job. You know what it's like when you hit that depression in your life and you didn't know how to deal with it. The fear of the unknown paralyzed you. Well, here's the thing. If you know Jesus, you have hope. And it's the hope that inspires you to move. But I'm not going to lie to you. It takes courage. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Right? Why are some churches being wildly successful at reaching people for Jesus Christ and others are just treading water? Because some have courage and some have complacency. I can say that because I go home this afternoon, right? <laughs> I say it to every church I go to. I said it to the church I serve for years and years and years. We can be complacent and be comfortable or we can be adventurous and courageous and be scared to death half the time and on cloud nine the other half the time, but one will make a big difference for the kingdom and one won't. We need to be courageous. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. What do you need to move forward in today? Where is courage calling you to go from where you are to where God needs you to be? Courage calls us to move forward. Let me tell you something else courage does. Courage calls us to move upward. All right? Complacency says it can't be done. And courageousness says with God the battle was already won. It can't be done, or with God the battle is already won. How many times have you heard people say, it can't be done, it's impossible, right? There's no way we can really do this as a church. There's no way I can really do this as a follower of Christ. There's no way I can really get through this. And yet God tells us over and over and over again in his word that he's not a God of, of things that are impossible. He is a God that makes the impossible possible. That is the hope that we have. To win every battle that he brings us into. You can almost hear the fear in the Israelites as they begin to comprehend their leaders not going with them. That Moses is handing them off to some other folks. And, and that the land that is coming is full of some, some pretty mighty folks that they're going to have to go up against. But listen to Moses in 31, 1 through 6. He went out and he spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. 
Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said, and the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Can't you almost hear the fear in the Israelites? Moses isn't going with us. You've got to be kidding. How are we going to get there? But God says, look, in the midst of what looks hopeless, I give you hope. And I give you that hope so that the impossible becomes possible. I won't leave you in this battle. I won't forsake you in this move. I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to go with you. You just have to have the courage that is bred by hope. I read this quote to you a few weeks ago. When Lewis Smead says, is there a hope when hope is taken away? Is there hope when the situation is hopeless? That question leads us to Christian hope. For in the Bible, hope is no longer a passion for the possible, becomes a passion for the promise. You remember the church at Philippi who was struggling and Paul himself was in prison for his faith. And yet he pins these words to them in 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. These weren't people who were riding high. These were people who were in prison and suffering for their faith. And yet they were sharing communication, we can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus himself says in Mark 10.27, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I want you to think about this as we're going into Advent. I want you to ask this question. What impossible things do you face today? What things have others and Satan convinced you are impossible in your life? What things do you face that you think are impossible as a church, as an individual? And people are telling you it can't be done and you believe it can't be done. Well, I would say to you those very things that you have this idea it can't be done are the very things God wants you to do. They're the things he wants you to be victorious in. They're the things he wants you to move on, if you will. Because courage calls for faith. It's upward movement as we move forward. And courage also calls for outward movement. Complacency says, it's about now and it's about me. And courage says, it's about the future, it's about God, and it's about others. 31, 12 through 13 again. Moses, assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the aliens living in your town so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. It's about those kids. It's about these other people. I, I, I've, I don't, again, I don't, I, I don't write all my illustrations down in my notes. These come to me, so you, I may have shared this with you before. Again, nod like I haven't. I was at a conference in Vegas, a church conference. Have I told you this one? One of you says yes. The rest of you say no. I don't even know that one who said yes. So. No, I'm just kidding. I was out there for this conference. It's the honest truth. And this guy was speaking and you might have read some of his book. His name's Leonard Sweet, and uh, he does a lot of speaking and writing books. He's a lot better speaker than he is a writer, by the way. And we had a bunch of people who were planning churches. 
And we were starting, South Parkersburg Baptist Church was starting the Lubeck Community Baptist Church in Lubeck at the time. And so the state convention asked if I would go out with uh, three other guys who were starting churches. And, and I, I said, sure, I'll, I'll go to Vegas, you know, that's no problem. And we went out to this convention, and he was speaking, about 600 pastors there. And they were from all different denominations. And if you know denominations, you've been to other churches other than Baptist, you know that we have very distinct ways of expressing ourselves in worship, right? And, and, and so we had a lot of people there who were very animated, and they clapped at everything, and they raised their hands at everything. They said hallelujah and amen and all that kind of stuff. And they were always in our way because we were always sitting down with our arms crossed, and we couldn't see through them because they were standing up, right? Because we were Baptist. And we all just kind of respond in different ways. Well, the speaker gets up and he says, let me ask you all something. How many of you all have grandkids? And, and, and there were some people in there that clapped their hands and said amen. And I was way, this was way before I had my grandchild. And, and I didn't really understand, but they were getting excited. And, and he said, how many of you love your grandkids? And this roar began to happen in the, in the place. And, and people started standing up and they started clapping. They started saying amen and hallelujah. How many of you love your grandkids more than life itself? And by this time, even the Baptists were standing up, you know. They were obligated because everyone else was up. But they got up and they were saying amen and clapping their hands. And he said, how many of you love your grandkids so much that if you were out in the street and their kid, grandkid was standing in, in the street and a bus was coming down through there, that you would jump in front of the bus, uh, sacrifice your own life, to shove your grandkid out of the way. And the whole room erupts in applause. Amen. Hallelujah. And he says, but you won't change the music in your church to get him into heaven. And I was glad as a Baptist, I wasn't making much noise. <laughs> right? The whole place went dead quiet. And, and I'm not here to argue about what, no, what music you use. I think you all do an awesome job of, of using both styles here. I never really did care what kind of music we sung in church. As long as it glorified the Lord, I could worship with it. But what I began to realize was what we sing in church should never be about what I like. What we sing in church should be about what moves people to worship God, whether I like it or not. And as a Christian who is mature, I ought to be able to stand and sing with gusto songs I hate for my brothers and sisters to be able to worship in spirit and in truth. And guess what? When you develop that attitude, it is amazing how you can worship anywhere. I travel around now a lot of churches. I go to some churches, all they do is organ music, and I sing, and I worship, and I love it. And I go to churches that are much more contemporary than you all are in your service, believe it or not. Everybody's wearing flip-flops and shorts, and they're doing all kinds of things, and I love it too. Because it's not about us. It's about him, and it's about what we're doing for him, and it's about the people out there that we're supposed to be reaching, and it's about others. Aren't we supposed to love others more than ourselves? Courage. It's about the future, God, and others. Now, let's move this all back into Advent as we close this morning. What I want you to understand is that you can do like I did this morning, and you can listen to some really awesome Christmas songs about hope, and you can come to worship every Sunday and have a great Christmas Eve service and a great Christmas celebration, and you can just wrap yourself up in your own arms and talk about how much Jesus loves you and how good that makes you feel, and I'll be right there beside you because it makes me feel awesome to know that I have this hope. But if that hope doesn't move you to have courage, you're useless to his kingdom. That hope ought to be inspiring you 
to move from complacency, to move forward, to move upward, and to move outward. What's he want you to do this Advent season? I joked with you last week about some of you aren't ready for Merry Christmas, right? Some of you still aren't ready for Merry Christmas. Well, again, and for all you English teachers, I know this isn't right. I'm just trying to identify with my people. It ain't about you. It's about him and the others he wants us to reach. Would we pray together?